Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, May 23, 2021. The share ID numbers for Friday, May 21st, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 16,993. That's 16,993. For the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 16,994. That's 16,994. This morning, A Vision for You presents, There is a Solution. Chapter 2 of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, There is a Solution, shouts the great news. There is help. There is hope. There is a way out of God, of King Alcohol's mad realm through God's help. There is a solution brings into sharp focus the exact nature of our powerlessness over the merciless obsession and our need for a higher power relationship as our defense against the first bite. Most of us have come to Overeaters Anonymous as a result of the bewilderment, frustration, and despair we experienced in our disease of compulsive overeating. As the text states, we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible. We come to OA looking for a solution which will free us from the bondage of our affliction. Chapter 2, reassuringly called, There is a Solution, lays out the crucial elements of recovery and is the foundation for the rest of the big book. Yes, indeed, there is help, there is hope. Joining us today to bring to life Chapter 2, is Craig F., a recovered compulsive overeater from Oklahoma. Craig is devoted to living the solution of the 12-step way of life and carrying this message of recovery, and it's with great appreciation and always a joy to have Craig F. on the line. Welcome, Craig. Well, well, thank you very much, Leah. Appreciate you. Glad to be here. I'm assuming I can be heard. I hear you well. Great. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. This is Craig F., and I'm recovered and living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I uh, uh, was um, pleased to have uh, Leah ask me to uh, fill in this Sunday with a a special edition. And um, I I picked There is a Solution because uh, I think it's important to, uh, to, to stop a minute and to think about that, you know. Um, if you look at the big book and the different chapter titles, uh, chapter two is the only title that you could construe as a promise. Uh, there is a solution. It is is a 
promise. Um, and, and it's a, not a promise to be taken lightly. You know, not every problem that we have, not every disease that is known to man has a solution. Um, I, I had a, a very good friend um, died a year ago, um, and uh, I grew up with this young lady. She uh, uh, um, was, uh, you know, one of those people that you kind of, people kind of wanted to resent but couldn't. Um, you know, she was a head cheerleader. She was uh, very pretty. Um, she was very personable. She was nice to everybody. Um, she got a law degree after she graduated high school. She um, uh, married a, uh, a man that uh, was worth multiple billions of dollars. She uh, um, uh, worked as an aide to uh, a very powerful United States senator for uh, most of her adult life or career. So um, it, she got breast cancer and a very aggressive form of it. And, you know, there was no solution. If money, power, um, uh, personality, will, uh, other people praying for you because she had so many friends, if any of that stuff would have cured her, um, it, it was available to her, but nothing. There was no there was no solution for her, and she passed at too young of an age. And, you know, we look at this disease, and I think sometimes that we take it for granted that there is a solution. Uh, you know, when for centuries, alcoholism particularly, and, and still to an extent compulsive overeaters, compulsive overeating, um, most of the world thought there was no solution. I mean, for alcoholism, the word hopeless alcoholic was uh, the adjective hopeless was always added to the word alcoholic almost. Um, you know, nobody um, nobody believed there was a solution. You know, once in a great while, somebody would have a, a religious experience maybe, but not very often. <clears throat> and with compulsive eating, um, doctors consider us still to this day um, uh, hopeless. If you go to a doctor and you're uh, 100 pounds overweight, um, most of them won't say it to your face, but they um, don't hold much hope for you. And, and actually, the odds are, you know, if you're if you're four if you're 100 pounds overweight, the the percentage of people that will ever take that off and keep it off are is uh, less than four uh, percent and if you're 200 pounds overweight the percentage of people that can take that off and keep it off is not me measurable it's it's immeasurable so to to the world <clears throat> the this disease is considered um, considered hopeless it's considered to not have a solution so it's with great hope that we have the idea that we have a, a solution. Um, my father was full of sayings. He was a, kind of a character. And, and uh, one of his sayings was, uh, don't put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, and, uh, you know, he talked a lot about emphasis, about it's not so much what you believe sometimes, but about what you emphasize uh, in life that is important. Uh, I was able to speak at his funeral and, uh, and talked quite a bit about that. But uh, 
this this chapter, you could put the emphasis, the emphasis on on several different syllables here and and make some different kind of sense out of it. There is a solution, um, is what I've been talking about. The the fact that a solution exists um, may ought to be something that we uh, live in great gratitude about you know that there exists a solution that we're not we're not hopeless um there is a solution we could put the emphasis on the a and uh say that uh, there's not a whole bunch of solutions there's a solution um the the program offers us one solution and there may be different ways that some of us uh, carry that out there may be some different um uh personalities and that get uh, exhibited in this but the fact is there is a solution and and it involves a particular program of of 12 steps um and we could put the emphasis on solution there is a solution uh there's you know uh it, it, it is. This is a solution that we're talking about. It's not a. Uh, um, it's not a, uh, a, a placebo. It's not something to make us feel be- better and and just handle the. Uh, um, you know, to tr- to treat the symptoms. It treats the disease. The solution treats the disease. So we could put. The emphasis in in any one of three places here, and um, have a different thought about what this means. Um, so, there is a solution. Um, you know, I, I I don't know about you, but I, I know that I knew there was something different about me than my fellow people growing up. You know, the people around me. Um, I felt that inside. I I had that. Um, you know, um, kind of uh, terminal uniqueness in a sense. Uh, you know, it was fed in my case by the fact that I was taller than uh, everybody I grew up with by quite a bit. You know, I was some six four. I was when I was younger. I'm shrinking in my old age, but I uh, I I reached my full height in the eighth grade and. Uh, you know, so the kids that I grew up with, my peers, sometimes were, you know, well over a foot shorter than me. Um, that made that gave me some uniqueness. It also hid the uh, the weight gain because I was growing so tall so quickly. But um, nonetheless, I had that terminal uniqueness, and I knew that I reacted to things, certain things, differently than than other people. Uh, I didn't I didn't understand it. I didn't know what that meant, but I, I just knew that I was different, and, and um, it, it bothered me. It gave me a, a, a feeling, a, you know, a feeling of loneliness, a feeling of, of isolation uh, from people. Uh, you know, uh, I, I could force myself to fit in. Um, you know. It, but it, it went at a cost, you know. When I uh, when I was uh, uh, social, you know, I, inside I was trembling. Uh, outside I may look fine, but inside I was trembling. And 
and uh, I I didn't understand why. I just knew that I was different, and and uh, you know as I got older, and and the weight started to come on in my twenties and in my thirties, um, I I very much knew I was different, but I didn't I didn't know what the solution was. I hadn't been introduced to the solution, but more important, I didn't even know what the problem was. You know, uh, sometimes in order to solve a problem, we have to understand first what the problem is. You know, in science, um, they uh, a lot of the great leaps forward with science uh, come because we ask a different question. You know, we we uh, um, don't necessarily come up with a a new answer to an old question. We learn that we maybe we've been asking the wrong questions. And uh, uh, I, I saw Farside. I don't know I, if you're familiar with Farside. I, it's my Gary Larson. One of my is one of my favorite things. And I I saw a Farside cartoon yesterday. That's uh, this uh, guy was uh, chiseling a his caveman was chiseling a wheel uh, out of stone. And the caption said something like, "This great invention was going to change mankind." Yes. Grok had invented the hammer and chisel. <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, looking at it, you'd think it was the wheel that he invented, but it was saying he'd invented the chisel. And, uh, you know, it's um, a matter of how we look at a problem sometimes that uh, that yields how we look at a solution. And so I didn't understand the problem, and I certainly didn't understand the solution, and I l- certainly looked everywhere for a solution, you know everywhere I knew to look um, and you know that included every kind of food plan uh, that was available to me every kind of uh, uh, medical advice you know I went to I went to the same pay in ways that most of us tried uh, multiple times I uh, uh, did all those a lot of those diets that you get out of a uh, uh, mostly women's magazines, uh, you know, the, I did cabbage soup cleanses. I did, uh, where all you eat cabbage soup for a week at a time. And I did, uh, the drinking man's diet that, uh, where, uh, you had four ounces of steak and a shot of whiskey for three times a day. And that was, uh, and I lost weight about killed me, but I lost weight. And my brother-in-law, uh, passed out. Uh, on the toilet, lost consciousness, collapsed against the door on that diet, and that's what ended that diet. Um, you know, we were, but we were looking for a solution. Uh, uh, and you know, if somebody had told me there is a solution and it's over here and it's a spiritual way of life, I'm not sure that I was of a mindset where I could have accepted that solution i hadn't i hadn't i hadn't tried it uh tried everything that i knew to try yet you know i was still looking and i don't think necessarily for a softer easier way i was still looking for a solution in the food and i had and i hadn't realized that the problem uh that the greater problem lied in my mind you know my my friend uh our friend harlan uh was i was at a state convention he was speaking at in uh, Dallas one time and he said 
to me that it was going to be was just about time for questions and answers. And he says, "You watch." Um, in spite of the fact that he'd been talking about the steps, the first question that I'm going to get is, "What's your food plan? How do you eat? What's your food plan?" And and sure enough, the first question and the second question, and I think the third question, were just different forms of that. And you know, in other words, you, you could speak for four hours on the steps and on the spiritual solution, and still uh, people and people in program, the first question they were going to ask is, is uh, how do you eat? Now they're looking for a solution. But they're looking for a solution in a magic food plan. And and while having a great food plan is important, it, it, this, the book in there is a solution. It says, reminds us that the greater problem is in our minds. Um, you know, we, we uh, talk about um, uh, total abstinence being necessary, but total abstinence is really just the beginning you know the that 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 is the doctor says in the doctor's opinion that all he has to recommend is total abstinence in other words he's telling the drunks the alcoholics that all he has to tell them is don't drink if you're not going to be if you don't want to be drunk don't drink and if we don't want to compulsively overeat don't eat your trigger foods don't eat sugar whatever flour whatever your trigger food is and 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 that is a only a beginning because most for most of us and only I can only speak for me um, it is certainly of great benefit not to eat a trigger food and and, and it's certainly a problem if I do but the greater problem is in my mind the greater problem is in the obsession and and uh, you know not eating your trigger food not not getting a start uh towards relapse in that way is only the beginning of the solution you know the greater the greater solution has to treat uh, has to treat my mind um I, the uh, uh i'm going to get into the 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 book here and and, uh, and i'm going to skip through this text uh, the first, the, in, the, in the first page, it talks about the great joy that we have, um, the feeling of camaraderie that we have when we come together and realize that there's a common solution. Uh, it doesn't tell us yet what that common solution is. It just tells us that, uh, that we can be happy because we've come together and shared this concept that there's a solution. Now, that's good, and, and happiness is a good thing. But un, but like most people, happiness. Um, uh, well, I don't know about most people, but with a with an with an addict, um, happiness is like any other emotion, not negative or positive. Uh, I, I can eat because I'm happy, you know. Um, so uh, there's a solution, and I'm happy about it. That's that's wonderful. Um, and this, in the second page, it goes on to tell us about uh, the illness and uh, uh, that, um, you know, people uh, will condemn us for having this illness. They won't condemn you for having cancer. I don't think my friend that died of breast cancer um, 
that anybody scolded her or told her it was her fault or, um, you know, shamed her for that. Uh, everybody loved and supported her. Uh, but when it comes to our disease, uh, it, it, it is generally accepted that uh, we're simply people that won't or don't exercise our willpower. And um, the understanding inside and outside the rooms sometimes that this is a an, an illness, a disease, something um, that we don't choose to have, uh, that understanding isn't necessarily there. Um, so uh, anyway, it goes on to talk about how that the disease, that the solution is best transmitted here by uh, uh, an ex by somebody that has the disease, that 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 only a uh, uh, a compulsive overeater can really talk to another compulsive overeater, only an alcoholic can really carry the message of this solution because it's got to be carried with this right attitude and not, not holier than thou, not, uh, um, you know, uh, nothing but a sincere desire to be helpful and, uh, that that's most effective and, uh, that we have to do that with not as a sole vocation, but we do that as an advocation. Um, so anyway, um, it goes on to tell us again that much good will result that, uh, you know, that the problem has not been, the surface has not been scratched. Um, and then it says there'll be a discussion of things, medical, psychiatric, and religious. Still haven't told us what the solution is. But there's something about me when I read that that starts to get my hopes up. You know, when I first read this, I, I remember... I remember where I was and what I was doing when I first read this this thing, and my hopes started to rise as, as I read this chapter. I, I, I was uh, sitting by a swimming pool about this time of year in Allentown, Pennsylvania, in the sunlight. It was a beautiful day, and I was reading this, and my, my hopes started to rise because the, uh, I started to get the idea. I hadn't understood yet what the solution was, but my hopes started to rise because I started to realize that that these folks were serious, that there is a solution. And, uh, uh, you know, I up until that point, I, I had uh, um, come to become, I had come to the place where I was uh, hopeless. I had got to the place where I felt like there was never going to be a solution. I can remember one day uh, getting... A I was going to ride with a client. We were going to go about three hours out of town and look at some property and uh, <clears throat> that he wanted to develop and come back three hours. And he wanted to take his Jaguar SJ6, and it's a nice car, and and uh, I couldn't get in it. I couldn't fit in the passenger seat. I had was weighing about 400 pounds. <clears throat> and this client was a very nice guy, and... Uh, very friendly, excuse me, I'm going to, but, you know, he, he, he talked to me about what could I do about my weight, you know, what was, um, you know, wh why, why couldn't I control my weight, and I didn't know, you know, I, I had, I, I, I remember how hopeless I felt, and how, 
you know, I sat there saying how many things I had tried and how far and wide I had looked for that solution. And I had brought everything I had to bear in terms of willpower against that solution, against that problem. And still, uh, you know, I'd get short-term successes, always followed by a relapse, always followed by a weight gain. I'd always put on more than I took off. And I, uh, I, but I sat there hopeless. Now we took, we took, we ended up taking my pickup truck, which is a little rougher ride than that Jaguar. I can assure you. And we went and looked at the property, and it was kind of a, it was humiliating, in a sense. And you know, I, what do I do with humiliation? You know, what did I do with? Uh, Feelings of being less than, you know, uh, I ate because I didn't want to feel him. And I remember dropping him off and wanting to eat, you know, uh, wanting to eat because I felt, uh, I felt that shame, uh, you know. And what else did I eat over? You know, it's about the same period of time. And I and I told that story before. The first time I weighed in at 400 pounds or more, and I had. Had been in a doctor's office, and the doctor had uh, told me that if I didn't do something about my weight, that uh, I was going to. And this quote always kills me. She said, "You were going to drown in your own juices." She said, "If if I didn't do something, and I, you know, I was about 35 years old at the time, and it was a long time ago." And uh, she said um, that if I didn't do something about my weight, I'd be dead in five years. And, I, and, you know, of course, nobody wants to die. Um, you know, yeah, we all want to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, as Frank Zappa said. But um, we, uh, uh, you know, I, I remember bucking up and, and and saying, that's it. She scared me enough. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go on a diet. I'm going to lose this weight off. I'm going to keep it off. And by God, that's it. And I remember leaving that doctor's office, it was lunchtime, and I passed one fast food joint, and I passed the second one, and I stopped at the third one and got two hamburgers and said, I'll start in the morning. And and I didn't understand that for a long time, but uh, until I started understanding that I ate over fear, you know, that among other things, that I ate over fear, and then that she had scared me, and that fear was so palpable that that I self-medicated it with a couple of hamburgers. And, um, you know, we don't, when you don't know what the problem is and you don't know what the solution is, uh, you don't know what to do, you know? Yeah. Um, you're, you're helpless. And, and that was the case. And, and so, you know, today I can't claim that. Today, I, today I, I've had the problem defined for me. And I've had the solution defined for me, and so I don't have to. I don't have that set as an excuse anymore. You know, today it's a choice of whether to live in the problem or live in the solution. But anyway, um, uh, so um, we're still. Um, the, Bill still got us talking about how um, happy. Uh, we are that there's a solution, and and and, he, and on page 20 he tells us the purpose of the book 
is to answer such questions specifically. We'll tell you what we have done before going into a detailed discussion that may be well to summarize some points. But um, anyway, that's a thesis statement. The purpose of the book is to answer questions. What do I have to do? Um, you know, what do I have to do to recover from a hopeless condition of mind or body? Um, and um, what you know, I, I, people, I, I hear when, when you when you talk to me, what I hear and what you say aren't necessarily the same thing. Uh, we've all experienced that. You know, my hearing is impacted by the prejudices I bring to that conversation. Uh, my hearing is impacted by my own um, mindset, my own desires. I hear what I want to hear. And, and and that's not just me, you know. I think that's most of us, uh, that, it, that, a, that a skill, the skill of, of hearing what people are trying to tell you from their point of view is something that takes a great deal of practice and a, and a great deal of learning. And, and I, and, and I'm not going to claim great uh, mastery of that. I'm going to say that, uh, as a matter of fact, that uh, I catch myself all the time hearing what I want to hear. And, uh, you know, it, it's a rude awakening sometimes to go back and, 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 and hear it again. When I first read this, I heard what I wanted to hear, you know. Um, I, I, I read this portion that we just read, and um, I was so happy when I walked into AA, to LA. Um, I was so happy that, um, uh, that I was being promised a solution, that I had group support, that I was being told that, uh, you know, that um, this wasn't a moral failing or, or a, uh, a lack of willpower that, uh, that it was a disease that, uh, and that there was a common solution that I wasn't really um, as focused as I needed to be on the nuts and bolts of that solution. And so um, Bill hadn't gotten around to giving us the nuts and bolts of the solution here yet, and, and, and that was fine with me for a long time. I was on a pink cloud. I came in, I got a year's a uh, year of real clean abstinence, and uh, you know, of course, you know, I was coupled with. Uh, I was going through a divorce and was wanting to be in the dating world again because I didn't want to be alone. And you know, and I and in that first year, I went from 410 pounds down to 260, and that's not too far off my high school playing weight. And uh, you know, I got to feeling pretty good uh, about myself. And but I had a partial solution, you know. Once I was out of the food, once I was out of the uh, the sugar and the white flour, and and uh, wasn't putting all that junk in my body, my body, the cravings in my body went down, and that made it a lot simpler. And you know, once I was uh, going to a lot of meetings, I was going to at least a meeting a day. Uh, and between AA and OA, I was going to two meetings a day, a lot of days. It made it simpler to uh, 
to, to stay abstinent. I got in a routine uh, and uh, a food routine uh, on a food plan, and that was good. But what it wasn't doing was that it wasn't treating the greater condition. Um, I wasn't treating the greater condition of the mind because I wasn't working the steps because I had gotten one, two, I did the questions for one, two, and three, but because I hadn't totally understood the problem and because I hadn't totally understood the solution, I'd stopped, uh, you know. Uh, and what happened was, what happens to, to was that uh, life came along and life's problems came along. And the job I was doing ended and I had to move halfway across the country and, uh, you know, uh, start over again in a new town and start over again with a, with a, a new support group and start over again with, uh, with a lot of things in life and life didn't always go my way. And with the buildup of those emotions, with the buildup of that, of the fear that was involved with that and then, and not having developed, not having developed the tools of the program that allows us to carry carry on i i didn't have a solution for that buildup uh, uh fear and i relapsed and, and it didn't come on quickly uh it, it came on a little bit at a time and then all of a sudden it was there and so i hadn't found i hadn't found that solution and you know uh, i the 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 dr jekyll and mr hyde the mr hyde came out in me and uh, so, anyway, uh, I ate. Um, so, what is the solution? You know, what is the solution? And and the uh, back over on page twenty-four, Bill is starting to tell us that. Uh, uh, that we start to tell us what the solution is, um, you know, and, and uh, he's starting to tell us that uh, that we we're, we don't have a defense against the first drink without the solution, and he's telling us that that the solution is uh, on 25. Almost none of us like the self-searching, leveling of pride, confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. We saw that it really worked in others. We'd come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we'd been living it. When, therefore, we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved, was nothing left for us to do but pick up a simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet. We found much of heaven been skyrocketed and been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. The simple, the great fact is this, and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude towards life, towards our fellows, and towards God's universe. Okay, so he's laid out a framework of the solution here. You know, a simple kit of spiritual tools um, that's going to skyrocket us into this um, uh, fourth dimension. And I read that the first time through and here again you know i hear what i want to hear and i said great a deep and effective spiritual experience 
here I am, God, hit me. <laughs> you know, deal me one of those. Um, I'm ready. You know, I, I've suffered enough. Uh, let, let's have that spiritual experience. Uh, I'm a procrastinator. And, uh, you know, I would procrastinate uh, putting off uh, work in the steps. I'm a perfectionist. I spent six months one time looking for the right pen and paper to do my fourth step on. You see, what I thought was, in my pea brain, what I thought was that if God would hit me with this spiritual experience, that then, therefore, I wouldn't procrastinate, and I wouldn't be that perfectionist, and I wouldn't be as dishonest as I'd been about everything, and therefore, I'd be able to work these steps. See, I had it backwards. Um, I, I wanted... I wanted that spiritual experience, that free gift, so that I would have the the character defects out of the way, and then I could do the work. And it doesn't work like that. It didn't work like that for me. What worked for me was putting the food down and working the steps, and then... Not perfectly, not quickly, but certainly um, effectively, um, God began to deal with those with those character defects, and God began to give me that 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 uh, spiritual experience so that I could be um, transformed uh, in His time and in His way. Um, so I had to pick up the kit of tools. I didn't know how to use that those all those tools. You know, I, I, I have a lot of tools in my toolboxes. I, I worked as a machinist when, for a couple of years when I was young. I, I, I worked construction. Uh, I have an architectural degree. Uh, so I have drafting tools and I have carpentry tools and concrete tools. And, and I have uh, uh, machinist tools and, and I, have a, I have a garage full of tools. They're not in very good order right now because I... Uh, but I have a lot of tools, um, you know, but those tools don't make anything if I don't pick them up and use them. And, and what I can pick them up and make depends on what I know uh, how to do. In other words, I, I, I was never a very, I have a welder, but I was never a good welder. And now that I have a pacemaker on my heart, I'm not allowed to weld. But um, the, uh, uh, you know, what I can make depends on my skill uh, with those tools, but I still, have to, I still have to pick them up and use them to gain that skill. I still have to pick them up and use them in order to accomplish anything. They're not going to make anything laying in the garage. They're just going to sit there and get rusty. So I have to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools. And the simple kit of spiritual tools that's been laid at my feet is the steps, you know. And the steps are, they've been described as an ego-reducing process. And what, what I ha- one of the reasons that I, have to, that I have to work these things and continue to work them is that the problem for me begins is my problem is rooted in my ego. Uh, My dishonesty is rooted in my ego. Uh, 
my perfectionism is rooted in my ego. My um, procrastination is rooted in my ego. And let me explain that a little bit. My perfectionism is rooted in my ego because I don't want to want you or anybody else to see me as imperfect. Uh, at work, if I make a mistake, I, I caught a mistake I made here uh, Thursday afternoon. I was looking at a set of plans and I realized I had missed something on the plans and I didn't have a budget for it uh, in this building. And my first reaction my was, how can I hide this? How can I make this go away so I don't have to face up to the fact that I'm an imperfect human being? Because my ego wants to say that I shouldn't make mistakes. I don't want to allow myself to just be another bozo on the bus. And, and yet, that's the very thing that's going to make that mistake that much worse. You know, if I try to hide it, it's going to come out and it's going to become an even larger embarrassment. But, but nonetheless, my ego says hide this. You know, my, my, uh, uh, then the second thing that kicks in is the procrastination. I don't want to face up to the fact that I made a mistake. So maybe if I put this off, maybe if I don't deal with it today, there'll be something, some way to deal with it without having to admit to it later on. If I just don't make a big deal out of it, maybe I can make this go away. You see, that's, that, is, that is my ego again, that procrastination, perfectionism. And, there, and then it it's all starts to become a dishonesty. Uh, Instead of just saying, "This is what it. This is who I am. I made a mistake. Uh, I'm sorry," and looking for help to fix it, I start figuring out how I can hide the problem. That's my dishonesty, and and so uh, the steps are set up to help me um, become comfortable with who I am. Become comfortable with my humanity, become comfortable with my, my, uh, my, um, my, my inability to be, a, be perfect. Um, my, you know, and uh, they're also set up to help me be, be, um, to manage my fear, my fear-based uh, motive, mode of operation. You know, when you get to the fourth step, what do we list? We list our resentments, we list our fears and we list our harms, and and we admit those then in step five to God ourselves and another human being, you know. And, and why do we do that? We do that because it reveals our ego-driven nature. We do that because it lets us get an honest glimpse of who we are and how we're operating, and and it's hiding that, it's internalizing all that that ends up with this stew of of emotions that I can't handle. That's it it is it, it the result of that is a life that uh is uh isolated and hard to believe and full of this, this kind of terminal uniqueness. And so uh you know I I have to put my life through this process, this constant process of review and, and of working the steps in, in order to be at peace inside myself. And, and yes, I 
admitted my mistake at work to myself and to another human being, my, my boss. I admitted it to God. I asked for help in getting it fixed, and, and I went out and, and working to find the best solution. And that, for me, may not seem like a whole lot, but for me, you see, that is, that's progress. That is spiritual progress. And and it is um, it, it is to me a sign of of recovery. It is a gift of recovery. It is a fruit of recovery that uh, I haven't spent uh, any time uh, losing sleep and and regretting the fact that I am merely an imperfect human being. I, uh, you know, I have to live in the acceptance of my imperfections. I have to live in the acceptance of the fact that I am a that I am a flawed human being. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes in how I deal with other people, and and yet there's a solution for that. You know, there is amends that can be made. There is a, there there are things that I can uh, do to make it right when I make a mistake, and that's good. You know, and and so um, I I didn't. <clears throat> 45 minutes uh, goes pretty quickly, and I'm coming down towards the end of my time. And, I, and um, you know, I, I wanted to talk some about how after we've done those first nine steps, we get to the point of maintenance, and we get to the point of living. Part of the solution, there is a solution, is living in steps 10, 11, and 12. You know, the daily... Um, uh, first of all, in 10, when things come up, when things like that, that um, missing that uh, piece of work uh, at work, making that mistake come up, I have a, I, I can do a 10th step, you know. Even if my resentment's at myself, I, I have that tool that I've been given, you know, a tool to deal with life. And then I, and then step 11, I can do uh, a nightly inventory and I can turn things over to God in prayer. You know, uh, I, I don't know how many of us have uh, uh, have gone through this, but, you know, I said in step three that I turned my life and will over to the care of God as I understood God. And, and I have a, a, a way to speak with that God, you know, through prayer and meditation. And, and I have to ask myself constantly, uh, you know, other than rote prayer, other than the, the quick prayers in the morning, you know, how much time do I spend in prayer, in communication with that God? And, 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 and if the answer is not enough, if the answer is very little, then the real reason is that because in my ego, I have decided that I can handle life myself, that my life is not unmanageable by me. But if my life is unmanageable by me, then to me that means that I need God's help, and if I need God's help, that means I need to pray, and I need to pray fervently and pray often. And uh, you know, I may never sweat blood, but I need to pray fervently and pray often. And I need to do step twelve work, which I do. You know, by sponsoring other people, by carrying the message. And uh, uh, if I do that, uh, that gets me out of myself. You know, it gets me out of that. Uh, uh, that terrible place where I'm, you know, in my own 
uh, mind uh, and gets me to to uh, uh, be focused outwards on God's people and and uh, out of my ego. Um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna finish by reading something from uh, uh, AA Comes of Age. Uh, I can find the right page here. Um, I think I lost my page. Dropped my book. Um, Here, on page 250 of AA Comes of Age, it says, uh, I uh, I have now presented the two points I wish to make, namely, First, the ego is revivable. And second, surrender is a disciplinary experience. I next wish to discuss their significance to AA as I see it. Primarily, they say quite simply that AA can never be just a miracle. The single act of surrender can produce sobriety by its stopping effect upon the ego. Unfortunately, that ego will return unless the individual learns to accept a disciplined way of life, which means that a tendency for ego comeback is permanently checked. This is not new to AA members. They have learned that a single surrender is not enough. Under the wise leadership of the founding fathers, the need for continued endeavor to maintain that miracle has been steadily stressed. The 12 steps repeated inventories, not just one, and the 12 step itself, a routine reminder that one must work and deserving sobriety are all essential. Moreover, it is referred to as 12th step work, which is exactly what it is. But this time, the miracle is for the other fellows. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Craig, for such a profound and thought-provoking presentation this morning. Thank you for sharing your experience as well as the text today with all of us. Share ID for today's presentation, 17001. That's 17001. Craig's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so you'll please stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can pose a question to Craig by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Or one, if you have a question for Craig. I'm Florence S. Nina um, R. I? Florence S. Ken W. H. Ken W. H. Nina R. Loretta A. Nina R. Loretta H. Thus far, I have Florence S., Nina R., Ken W. H., Loretta H. Anyone else want to get in this group? Uh, Amy M. Amy M. Great. Okay, that's a group. Let's begin with Florence S. Yes, hi. I'm I'm Florence, a grateful member of this program. Um, 
I wanted to get the page number for that last reading, but also I wanted to thank Craig. Uh, that was just so on point for me um, from the perfectionism to the procrastination. And I'm, um, I'm in a jam because my disease has returned with a vengeance and, and, and uh, I'm not going to blame it on COVID. I'm just going to say it's to the point where it's, it's really, affecting my health, affecting my comfort. And I, I just have been I, not acting, but, but, but wanting to find a meeting. And I always remembered vision for you with, with through all my other attempts at um, beginning, you know, dealing with my food addiction uh, was just wonderful. And I still had you in my contact list. So I called and I got this, you know, wonderful treaties on the program i mean they just touched all the bases and uh, so so humble and yet informative and I, so i gotta thank you and uh really really uh can't thank you enough so could i get that page number for the last thing you read craig or anybody oops craig you you muted yourself so uh-huh. you'll there you are all right. Uh, page 250 in AA Comes of Age. AA Comes Oh, okay. No wonder. Okay. Thank you so, so, so much. Uh-huh. Thanks, Florence. Nina R., your turn. Hey, Craig. Thanks so much. This is Nina R. Um, I, I, two questions if we have time for the second one. No, don't worry about it. Is there... One um, is there one defect, character defect that still like trips you up, like shame or anger, procrastination. It, you can just you don't have to answer at length. But um, and what does your meditation practice look like? And again, thanks so much. Great, great hearing you. Have a nice day. All right. Um, thank you. Um, you know, uh, I get um, my character defect is that I get impatient with my the fact that my character defects keep coming up. I was driving home from work um, Friday night and somebody cut me off in traffic and and you know they weren't following my script for God's sakes and um, you know they endangered me and themselves and and uh, you know the anger comes up and. Uh, it, that, that's my will and that's my ego. You know, I, I've certainly made mistakes driving, pulled out when I shouldn't have bef- myself, but I don't, I want to forget that. And, uh, you know, and then, and then I think why well, should be, I should be better than this. You know, I, I, I should be, uh, you know, spiritual enough that, uh, that it doesn't bother me when somebody else does something like that. Well, should I can shed myself to death. The fact is that I have a tool. Um, you know, I have a solution and I have a tool, and that's called the tenth step, where I can call and admit my admit my faults to somebody else. But yeah, that that's it. that that's. I don't remember your second question. Uh, your meditation practices. Oh my my yeah my yeah I'm sorry my meditation practices. I am probably the world's, not the, you know, here I, my ego again, I'm the world's worst. I'm probably uh, not um, 
very good at, uh, at meditation and that, you know, as a kid, I, I read about yogis. I remember doing that about yoga, uh, the yoga practitioners that could change the temperature of their skin and change their heartbeat through their meditation. And so I, I thought that's great. And I sat down and I gritted my teeth and clenched my fists and, and, uh, you know, tried to, uh, m- do what I thought they were doing when they meditated. And, you know, I, I, it, it didn't work. In other words, I'm a very willful person. And so today for me to meditate, um, means first of all, I have to get out of my own head and, and that's difficult to do at times because uh, my mind races a million miles an hour and I judge that and I shouldn't. Um, but the best way for me is, uh, you can go on YouTube and, uh, uh, they'll have like the St. Francis prayer for uh, uh, 11 step meditation. You can Google 11 step meditations uh, uh, on, on YouTube and play that. And it's played usually with some chime music. And I can put that on my uh, big curve screen TV up here and, and sit here and meditate on the things of God and the things of, uh, of the day. And for me, that's the best that's the best way to do that and that's what closes my day most of the time so uh, you know there are other people that uh, uh, could be very good teachers about how to how to meditate uh, out in the woods and and, uh, and and they didn't get that way without practicing you know they pick up their kit of tools and they practiced and they and they learned how to do it over time. It's it's not just nature; it's practice. So, thanks for the questions. Thank you, Nina. And next up, Ken W H. Hi, thank you, uh, Leah, and thank you, Craig. Uh, uh, my my question is, Craig, what what is uh, what does your food plan look like? I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't resist. Um, that was a great story <laughs> from from you and Harlan. But anyway, um, you know, uh, looking for the solution early uh, is is natural, and that's what I did early, um, and that usually. Happens by going right to the steps, which is actually chapter five of the big book. Um, to avoid that, how do you start someone on, on the process of recovery without jumping or jumping them into um, the steps as the solution before they even understand the problem? Well, thank you for the question. And the answer to that is, that we read the doctor's opinion and uh, we read it several times and we read it as carefully as we can. Um, and, you know, I, I've, uh, I usually break that doctor's opinion down. I have them go through and, and uh, mark each paragraph. Does it deal with the allergy? Does it deal with the obsession? Um, does it, does it uh, deal with the, uh, uh, uh mental blank spot and so they put a, an A, uh, an O or a, a B 
beside each paragraph, and sometimes a paragraph will get all three. So we, we'll do that. We'll break it down that way, and then we'll go through it, and we'll look for what the all the things the doctor says will get you sober and keep you sober, and all the things he says won't get you sober or keep you sober. And that's an interesting exercise because I have yet to have people. It's, it's not a standard set of answers, and I've kind of kept a collection of the uh, written in my book of the answers I get from people doing that. But um, yeah, you have to define the problem, and and uh, you have to understand that it's inside you. And uh, but that can be done in the doctor's opinion, and we, and we do that over. A period of a couple days and uh, then we go to you know uh, go to Bill's story and we read Bill's story to identify and uh, you know how did Bill drink how did Bill think you know um, and and how do I drink and think like Bill drank and thought you know and we identify so we start to identify and it's still it's not it's not the solution yet but it's starting to understand the problem. And, and again, and there is a solution, we, we do the same thing. We start to identify the problem. And we also start to get a hint at the solution. Uh, you know, in the part that we did this morning and then in, in the Roland's uh, uh, story, the certain American businessman, we, we start to understand that this, what the problem is and what, this, and what the solution is. And we agnostic, we understand what the uh, we agnostics, we understand a lot of times what the roadblock to the solution is, and that's our uh, relationship with God and and the, and our bent and broken relationships with our higher power uh, that come from our upbringing, and so we start to understand and eliminate those roadblocks in, in that, and then we get to the solution. And uh, try to do it, but yeah, try to do it quickly so that uh, uh, we don't uh, lose our focus. And because we're fighting a battle against the time, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people can still go for a few weeks without eating. Um, you know, uh, they can still diet for a period of time. And, that, and that's what you're asking them to do. You're asking them to stay out of the food for a while. So you can get the solution going, so they can get to that place where um, the where they have the freedom from food obsession from their exposure to the steps, and and so you have a limited window of time uh, for pe for people to get there from where they start. So yeah, doing it quickly. I hope I answered your question. Ken, thanks. Thank you, Ken W.H. Next question comes from Loretta H. Craig and Leah, thank you for saving my life today. Your experience, strength, and hope was so um, amazing. And my question is, because you talked about this at the beginning, and I hope I can phrase it. I'm not real good at phrasing questions. You talked about not hearing and seeing because of prejudices. And and I hear you're working a spiritual program because you have such, um, you know, spiritual structure. In fact, it, you're an architect, and I can tell in just how you work your program. But anyway, 
uh, but God's the architect. How do you daily, when that ego or that prejudice comes in, and you know it's wrong, and you can't, I know God's going to stop it, but is there any practice you do to put on a new pair of glasses so that doesn't enter your heart or your speak or your thinking? Is there anything you do to, not to stop it, but to eliminate the sadness that comes after you experience that? And mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense. And I pass. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Loretta, for the question. The the kind of prejudice I was talking about, most of us aren't even aware or not even aware that we have. You know, it's simply a point of view of life. And we view life from our point of view. How? It's difficult to, uh, you know, I see my backyard out my back window. My neighbor sees it out his back window, and he sees a different backyard than I do. You know, that 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 is just a simple fact of the matter. And and to put myself in his shoes to look at my backyard from his uh, uh, house is uh, uh, difficult to do. Um, you know, so... When we're looking at looking at oh, when we're listening to a speaker talk, we're going to hear things that resonate with our point of view. We're going to hear things that resonate with us. One way around that, especially when we're reading, is to look at is to tear the reading apart a little bit um, by um, talking uh, to look at what it doesn't say. You know, when I when I read. Oh, the, the steps, you know, uh, I admitted I was powerless over food. My life had become unmanageable. It doesn't say that I admitted that uh, I am uh, uh, hopeless. It doesn't say that I admitted that uh, uh, I was powerless over uh, everything. It says I'm powerless over food and that my life, it doesn't say my diet is unmanageable. It says my life is unmanageable. So by looking at something by what it says and what it doesn't say, uh, I can sometimes start to see, uh, start to tune my ears to be a little more uh, global in in their reception, um, if that makes sense. So there are a couple of disciplines like that. And then the other thing is just simply to pray and ask God to open our eyes and open our ears. You know, uh, here again, you know, I've turned my life and my will over to the care of God. And and so I need to use that uh, relationship. I need to be I need to be active in that relationship and uh, and, and ask God to guide me uh, if I if I'm truly if I've truly turned my life and will over. That's going to indicate to me an awful lot of, of, of uh, conversation with that with that God. So um, that's all. Thank you for the question. Thanks, Loretta. Next, we have a question from Amy M. Amy M, star one to unmute. All right, here we go. Sorry, this is my first time here. Um, So, Craig, I wanted to tell you thank you so much for sharing. I related a lot to some of the things you were saying. Uh, In particular, you you went to the doctor, and then you went to go get fast food. 
my doctor's office is right next to McDonald's, so I completely relate with that, and I go there for weight issues. Um, so I guess my biggest question is how do you find balance? Because I know you from working the steps, and like I said, I'm new to this. I'm also an alcoholic, so I'm. this is why I'm here, because I realize, you know, it really does play into both. But how do you find balance, and when you're feeling really negative on yourself and overwhelmed and like really like hateful and I guess it's like a negative ego if you could say how do you find balance and clarity well thank you for the question um, you know um, how do I find balance um, it's um, I, I want to say that sometimes balance is a little overrated um, you know, uh, it's a it's a word that I use sometimes to make an excuse for not being um, all in. Um, you know, I'm going to balance program with my real life. Well, I, I don't have that option. You know, I, I have to be um, I have to be uh, overbalanced towards working this program if I'm going to have any kind of a life. Uh, so I, I have to be, for me, I have to be careful using that, how I use that word, balance. Uh, a friend of mine says he knows what what uh, balance is. He, he's, uh, he says his life's on a pendulum, and he sees balance every time the pendulum swings past the bottom. Uh, in other words, it's always swinging back and forth, and the only time he sees the balance is when it's... Uh, swings by uh, the the middle but uh, and as funny as that is as a picture to me um, I I think that I have what what I the other thing I have to have mirrors uh, there was a that was a kind of a common uh, professional book here a few years ago a lot of people read about how uh, we we have to have mirrors we have to have somebody that shows us what we look like uh, shows us what we're doing, and th and those, you know, my mirrors include my sponsor, my sponsorees. I have some other friends that that when that can see me and reflect to me back what I'm what I'm looking like. And and if I don't have those mirrors, uh, if I don't have those people around me that that re that can say, uh, you seem to be doing this a lot lately or you seem to be a lot like that lately then i i don't have uh i, I can't i'm not going to recognize that just on my own all the time so keeping keeping those kind of people close by those recovery buddies those good sponsors that are uh, that are not afraid to challenge you that that is a that's a good way to to maintain that balance to allow yourself to know whether have I put you know if I'm putting enough time in am I putting enough effort in am I sponsoring enough people am I uh, you know uh, am I letting up on my prayer and meditation you know, so those people will help you see that Does that help you Shall we take that as a yes? Okay. All right. <laughs> Unless Amy feels otherwise. Okay, we can take another group. If you have a question for Craig. 
Throw one to unmute. Jody E. Jody. Christina J. Christina J. Anna S. Anna S. One more. Star one to unmute if you have a question for Craig. Going once, twice, three times. Three times. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take that as all minds are cleared. All right. Let's begin. Another question with Jody E. Thank you, Leah. And thank you, Craig, so much for your story and your experience, strength, and hope. I heard you say that as you were growing up, as a young boy and man, you felt different. You didn't feel normal. You didn't feel a part of... We hear that a lot when people tell their stories. I'm wondering, my question is, now that you are recovered... Do you still feel different from, quote-unquote, normies? Or when you are in fit spiritual condition, do you feel more a part of? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. But um, what I'd say is that today that I am more accepting of the fact that I'm not like uh, everybody in the room, <laughs> you know, that uh, I saw a deal one time. They were interviewing this uh, uh, police chief, and he was uh, talking. Up, he had to send undercover uh, policemen into high schools to uh, uh, because they had a drug problem. And he said that the biggest problem they had in sending uh, uh, an adult police officer, even though they looked like kids and they could dress them like kids was that those police officers had too much self-confidence that they had to teach them how to act insecure in order to fit in with high school kids and and, and the fact is that that no matter how they act almost every child is insecure that that they may act secure but that that is a shell usually that usually inside that they're not sure of themselves yet. They haven't defined their personality yet. And, um, you know, so the difference between us and the person in the next nest to you in high school may be that um, he felt, those people felt insecure as well, but they didn't treat that insecurity with uh, ice cream, you know. Uh, I I felt different, and and I would I had to treat that with with uh, uh, calm it down. I was un I was uh, uncomfortable with feeling different, so I would have to calm that with. In, in my case, it was both alcohol and uh, food, so that I didn't have to feel that feeling. I was uncomfortable with that feeling. I could. I, you know, I go to a church where, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 70 in May or in June. I mean, it's May now. I'm going to be 70 here in less than a, in a couple of weeks, and 
and uh, I'm single. I'm divorced. I don't have a, and I go to a church, and and uh, other than um, a few of the widowers, you know, I have always been like uh, an oddball because my, uh, uh, you know, uh, my I'm I'm single, and so an adult single male of my age is kind of going to church is kind of not common. And so uh, it makes me feel different apart from. The difference today is I'm okay with that. I don't need to eat over that. I don't need to worry about that. I fit in where I can fit in. I serve where I can serve, and I am I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm comfortable with my differences. And uh, so, yeah, I can be in a room full of normies and know that they're not that that I'm different than them, and it doesn't. It's not something that I I need. My ego isn't uh, yearning for the for to be the same as them, to look the same. I'm okay with being me. That may just be a feature a feature of age too. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jody. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jody. Christina J., your turn. Good morning, Christina J. from the state of Washington. Thanks, Craig. I always enjoy listening to you, and, of course, thanks, Leah, for this wonderful meeting. Um, so step one, powerless over food. You know, I've been talking to some fellows lately, and my own experience with step one was had to be an experiential one. Uh, I was in and out of relapse. And I finally had to have that experience where, you know, I stood before the demon and I said, I can't do this anymore, you know. Something within me deep said, I can't do this anymore. And then I went and took an action. And that was the beginning of my true neutrality around food. And I hear many people in the program saying, I'm doing everything. I'm making the calls. I'm doing the steps. I'm working with my sponsor. I'm praying. I'm meditating. But I still can't put down the food. So I'd just love to know your experience of what your step one was actually like when you finally felt like it was you know, it hit down deep into your bones where you could really feel like you finally took step one and knew what it was. Thank you. Wow. You know, um, I thought that I had taken step one many times in this program. And, you know, my my history is that, you know, I came in um, 30, what, two years ago now almost. Um, and I uh, uh, And I had that first year of abstinence and I, and and I knew I was powerless over food, and and I thought that was enough. But I kept taking my will back. You know, uh, I got that first year, almost two years actually, uh, of abstinence and relapsed. And then I'd get six months and I'd relapse, and I'd get a month and I'd relapse, and I'd get a day and I'd relapse. And and uh, I, I, you know, uh, would give my will over and take it back and. And and how it for me that it finally finally hit bottom was that I ended up in the hospital. You know, uh, I ended up uh, with you know I'd I'd gotten you know I came in at 410. I'd gotten down to 260. I, I had relapsed, and at one point I hit 520. Uh, I'd gotten back down to you know the, the mid 300s. I had. Uh, uh, relapsed. I got back up, and now I was in the mid 
the high four hundreds again, and uh, my uh, uh, I got lymphedema in my legs so bad that I got a septic infection and uh, ended up in the hospital with a doctor telling me that uh, that the septic that I had to stay there three weeks while they did antibiotics. And I wanted her to give me the antibiotics and let me go home. It was a a bag, you know, intravenous. And I said, just put a pick line in and give me the bags, and and I can change the bag four times a day. And but I'm listen to this. I'm too important at work (laughs) to be here for three weeks. And uh, she said that if I didn't lay down there in that bed and uh, let them do what I needed to do for three weeks, that I was uh, running a pretty good chance of dying or losing my legs, and that they'd have to start with, you know, taking them off a little at a time, that usually that's not just one surgery, and that I'd be in a wheelchair the rest of my life or, you know, uh, whatever. And uh, that if I, uh, but if I laid down there and let them take care of me, that I could, that I might have a chance of beating that thing, and I laid there in that hospital bed that night with that thought that I was had a chance of dying in the next three weeks from this lymphedema, which I knew was caused by my weight, which I knew was caused by my compulsive overeating, which I knew was caused by the fact that I hadn't fully surrendered. You know that I'd always bargained a little bit. You know I'd never. There were things I didn't want to confess. There were things I didn't want to make amends for. You know, they hurt me worse than I hurt them, so why should I make amends to them? That kind of thinking, that that I let all those things, all that dishonesty that I knew was inside me, stand in the way of me in recovery, and it was just about to kill me. It was just about to either kill me or make me a paraplegic. And And I cried out to God, and I said, whatever it takes, Whatever I have to do, whatever you need from me, I'm all in. Um, you know, please help me. And that, for me, was the first time I really stuck, took step one down deep in my soul. And I got my sponsor, uh, uh, my friend Kelly, had uh, uh, given me the uh, numbers for Vision for You um, uh, and had given me... Uh, uh, Harlan's phone numbers to reach out to for help, and I did that. And started that the next day, and uh, you know it's not been easy. I've had a hell of a four and a half years, almost uh, getting closer to five now. Um, you know, I've had uh, several stays in the hospital. I've had intestinal surgery. I've had heart surgery. I've had uh, you know complications from several different medications uh you know uh, i've had more medical problems and experience in this last four years than i could care to count on but yet um, every one of those problems has been another opportunity to learn surrender to deepen my surrender to deepen my relationship with god and to say whatever it is whatever it takes uh, whatever I have to do, I'm I'm yours. And uh, you know, uh, life certainly isn't perfect, but uh, it is so much better than it would be if I was still trying to operate through this on my own self-will. 
that answer your question? Yes, Craig, it was beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Christina. Okay, our final question for this morning comes from Anna S. Hello, thank you so much for your wonderful presentation, Craig. This is Anna S. from New York. And I just wanted to ask about your... um, uh, you talked about having somebody cut you off and getting angry, and um, but is that something that you would make a ten-step call over? Yes, absolutely, a- absolutely. When 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 these things occur, when these emotional upsets occur, that's that's when you're supposed to make a ten-step call. And and you know, I've learned that one thing. I've learned. I used to think, well, I don't I don't want to bother people. You know, I. I, I know how to handle this. I know what they're going to say. I know, I know, I know. And I know myself to death. But the fact is, having taken a lot of 10-step calls and given that service, having given had that opportunity for service, I realize it's a two, that there's two people that are gaining from that. There's me and the person taking the call. Or if they're making the call, it's them and me, that we we have an opportunity to be reminded and to deepen our relationship with our higher power through that. It's, we take time to pray and ask God to remove our character defects. We take time to to think about the fact that we're both just, uh, uh, you know, flawed human beings that are going to have problems. Um, you know, and I learned so much. I, I got cut off in traffic one day. or It wasn't really cut off. The guy wouldn't let me make a left turn he could have pulled up he had plenty of room to pull up but he 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 wouldn't and i couldn't make my left turn and he left me hanging out in traffic and i was worried i was going to get hit and i was really angry you know i I mean angry enough to start yelling at him out the window i didn't but i was that angry and i called uh, i called harlan and i said uh you know telling him what's going on and it's talking about my selfishness, you know, where was my selfishness? Of course, the guy wouldn't follow in my script and my resentment and my fear. And then, you know, what I realized was that I was being, I wasn't being empathetic. This guy, for all I knew, this guy, Harlan reminded me, this guy could have been just found out that he had cancer or that his kid had cancer. I had no idea. My dishonesty was I didn't know what was going on with that guy, you know, why he was distracted. He wouldn't look at me, you know, why he was just so distracted that he was sitting there in a way that wouldn't let me make a left turn when he could have pulled up or held back and allowed me to go. It may have been, it didn't have anything to do with me. He wasn't doing that probably just to spite me. He was doing, he was probably doing that because he had something else on his mind and I had no idea what that might be and how, you know, and that I had to have, if I was going to claim to have a spiritual way of life, that I needed to have empathy for him and pray for him, pray for his needs, pray for whatever he was going through to be taken care of and that it would deepen his relationship with his higher power. And by doing that, uh, by by learning to do that, by working those 10 steps, um, that that is what, for me, that deepened spiritual way of life is all about. That if I can do that, then then I then I have an opportunity to be at peace. And if I'm at peace, I have a 
opportunity to extend this um, uh, uh, spiritual way of life, to extend this uh, abstinence that I have, because the greater problem is in my mind. Thank you. And I wish I could remember to do that every single time on my own, but I, but it's a discipline. Thank you. Thanks, Anna, for your question. Thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And thank you so much, Craig, for your beautiful presentation this morning. Always uh, thank you. blessed to have you share. So thank you very much. The presentation for this morning, your ID, 17001. One seven zero zero one. All right. Let's wrap up this morning from page 164. You're familiar with it. We know it's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.